Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Cam- uh, Carolina uh, Newspaper. I almost said we're, all, we're back on uh, Campaign Connections, but that's because our guest is uh, Brad Crone, who is president of Campaign Connections. We've discussed uh, in the first segment, we talked about the national situation and the fact that we are in uh, a period of time where we are uh, have never been before on definitely uncharted waters with all the controversy about uh, what's going on with uh, pres- former President uh, Trump and, of course, the concerns about Hunter Biden. And we're also concerned about uh, uh, President Biden and the fact that so many people are just not satisfied with either candidate. We talked about that in the first segment. The second segment, we turned to the North Carolina situation, in particular, talked a good bit about the gubernatorial race. Now, let's turn to the fact that the uh, Council of State uh, is going to have a certainly some new faces. The North Carolina Attorney General obviously will be up because Josh Sine is running for uh, for governor, and uh, so we will have new candidates for North Carolina's Attorney General, perhaps one of the most important elected positions. What are you hearing there? Well, Dan Bishop announced on WBT uh, Thursday of this week, this past week, uh, Don, and it becomes an immediate front runner for the Republicans simply because of his credentials serving in the state Senate and then serving a number of terms, two or three terms, I believe now, in the United States Congress. But Bishop really is persona non grata with the, the House Republican leadership in Washington. So politically, it's a smart move for Bishop to move back down to the state level. He will have a built-in base of the super conservatives. He was the author of House Bill 2 back in 2016, very controversial piece of legislation uh, known as the bathroom bill. So uh, his bona fides with the conservatives is without question. The debate will be, is he enough mainstream to represent the state as a whole. And that's going to be a real big question mark. The other leading candidate in the Republican side for attorney general is Tom Murray, former state legislator, uh, left uh, the state legislature, went back to school. He was a registered pharmacist, had been very successful uh, in in the local pharmacy business, went back to school and got his law degree and uh, practiced as an assistant state prosecutor up in Granville County uh, doing felony cases and now is running for attorney general. And and um, while Bishop may be the front runner, I don't think you can discount Tom Murray because Tom Murray is going to work day and night. The guy is nonstop. Um, and I think he is very effective in, in building out a statewide grassroots network. I think he's going to have financial support. And I also think that the lawyers are going to see uh, Tom Murray is probably more able to do business with than having a, a super conservative philosophical candidate such as, as Dan Bishop. It will be an intriguing primary, no doubt. Um, on the Democratic side, it's sort of an open field right now. Uh, only one candidate has announced so far that would be uh, a formidable candidate. That's Charles Ingram. Uh, Mr. Ingram's a very successful uh, trial attorney, former prosecutor from Kenansville down in Duplin County. Uh, He is out campaigning uh, across the state on the Democratic side. 
the word is, the speculation is that Jeff Jackson may end up getting in the race or possibly if Josh Stein can talk Mike Morgan, the state Supreme Court justice, into not running for governor but running for AG, then the, it, it would help unify the party. Um, so, the, you know, those are big question marks still left out there in the Democratic side of things uh, for who, who will be the flag bearer for the Democrats as attorney general. Jackson, of course, being a strong former statewide candidate for United States Senate, ran for Congress, served in the state Senate four terms uh, representing Charlotte, and uh, is sort of the youthful hope, uh, uh, light of hope for the Democrats moving forward. I would say he's in his late 30s, early 40s at this point in time, and is a very good retail politician. So, Jackson is saying he would like to stay in Congress, but if the Republicans come in and redistrict and he loses his his district, uh, he he could very easily switch over and run for attorney general. So a lot of a, a lot of moving points there. The one thing I believe the Democrats need to do is to put together a slate of candidates that will be acceptable to their base constituencies. So Rachel Hunt, for example, is running for lieutenant governor, Jim Hunt's daughter, uh, then Josh Stein or Mike Morgan at the top of the ticket. And then uh, having, if, if Josh, if Mike Morgan decides to run for attorney general, then you would have uh, uh, the first Jewish nominee for uh, the Democratic nomination for governor. You'd have Rachel Hunt running for lieutenant governor and Mike Morgan, an African-American. So they'd have a very balanced ticket when it comes to their key constituency groups. And I think the Democrats are very conscious of that simply because, you know, if you have Trump, Robinson and Bishop, you're going to have super conservatives. Uh, You know, they are to the right of uh, Senator Thurman and Senator Helms, the new populist, super conservative Republicans. So the Democrats are thinking that they will be able to score points with independent and with centrist moderate voters uh, presenting a better balanced ticket to the voters next November. Of course, uh, as uh, we mentioned, Dale Falwell is is running for governor. Uh, that takes him out, I guess, of running uh, for re-election as state treasurer, another very important position. Who are you hearing there as far as Democratic and Republican possibilities? Well, the front runner for the Republicans, no doubt, is John Bradford out of Huntersville and Cornelius up in Mecklenburg County. And then Wes Harris, an economics professor from UNC Charlotte, a Democrat from down in southern Mecklenburg County. So it is highly likely that the next state treasurer will be coming from uh, Mecklenburg County. And that will, won't be a bad thing simply because of the concentration of the banking industry and commerce that we see coming out of the Queen City. So those are the two leading. I have not heard of any challenges on those two races in either party at this point in time. Wes Harris uh, has a, a PhD in economics, has worked uh, in the business world, and now is a professor at UNC Charlotte. And then Bradford is an insurance agent and a very well-respected businessman and a very effective legislator 
he ran the legislation in the House uh, last month that did the reorganization for Blue Cross Blue Shield, which was a very complicated piece of legislation, and he handled it very effectively. So uh, run down the rest of the Council of State positions and uh, who you see as candidates. Well, you've got uh, a lieutenant governor's race on the Republican side between uh, Hal Weatherman, who is former chief of staff to Dan Forrest, is Sue Myrick, was former chief of staff for Sue Myrick, very well-known congresswoman, former mayor of Charlotte, um, Sam Page, the sheriff, up in Rockingham County is getting into that race. I think there are a couple other Republicans who are looking uh, at the race. Deanna Ballard, a former state senator up in the mountains, has announced that she's getting into it. So the Republicans are going to have a very spirited primary when it comes to uh, running for lieutenant governor. On the Democratic side, Rachel Hunt is the front runner. And to be honest with you, uh, Don, I've not heard any other candidates looking at challenging Senator Hunt. Uh, she, of course, lives in Charlotte and has been active in local politics down there. This is her first term in the state Senate. She served one term in the state house and, uh, and of course, is the daughter of Jim Hunt, former four-term longest-serving governor in the history of the state. And while Jim Hunt's now in his early 80s, he still continues to have a major footprint from a political standpoint across the state of North Carolina when it comes to the business community as well as when it comes to the Democratic Party. And the the, the Hunt brand is still uh, very well respected and uh, is sort of, you know, gold uh, in the Democratic Party. So, Mounting a challenge against uh, Rachel Hunt in the primary, I think it's going to be difficult. And I say that because she's able to raise money with the help of her father. And uh, that is, that's paramount. And so she's clearly the front runner. I don't know if any other Democrats jump in it. If they do, they'll be secondary candidates for sure. Other races, uh, on the state ag commissioner race, if, if uh, Commissioner uh, Troxler decides to run for governor and vacates his office or decides to retire, that you'll have an open seat. I've not heard any names on the Democratic side. The, the one name that I do hear on the Republican side is Lisa Stone Barnes, who's a state senator from Nash County. She and her husband uh, have a very successful farm operation in Nashville, probably some of the largest uh, producers of sweet potatoes and produce across the nation has a, a excellent record in the state Senate is a very good retail politician and uh, has a reputation of uh, the highest degree with the farmers across the state. So she would be a very formidable candidate for the Republicans. If Mr. Troxler decides to step down uh, the state Senator Brent, um, I'm blanking on his name from Sampson County, um, has said he would be a candidate. His name's been bannered around, but he said that he's not going to run. Um, so that will be interesting to watch as well. The other labor commissioner race, there are a couple Republicans running for the labor commissioner race. John Hardister, probably the front runner in that race. 
There's a representative from Richmond County who's looking at getting in the race as well. Probably be a two-person race, Josh Dobson, of course. The current labor commissioner is stepping down from the position after serving a number of years in the state house and then one term as labor commissioner. Have not heard any talk whatsoever about the Department of Public Instruction, another key position, the state auditor, Don. You know, Beth Wood had uh, some serious criminal uh, charges against her that she, uh, following a, a one-car accident last Christmas coming out of Rufus Edmonston's Christmas party. And so she's had a, a couple of dings to her armor, uh, but have not heard anybody say that they are going to challenge her on the Democratic side. I did hear uh, earlier in the week that the Republicans are recruiting a couple of candidates, so that will be interesting. The Commissioner of Insurance, uh, Mike Causey, is running for re-election on the Republican side. David Wheeler, a businessman out of Avery County, I believe, is running against him on the Democratic side. Mr. Wheeler is a successful businessman and uh, ran a political action committee going after Madison Cawthorn last year, showing that he can raise a lot of money. So uh, the commissioner of insurance race is definitely going to be uh, one of great interest as well. So uh, I think it's, you know, very fluid at this point in time. During the next few weeks, I think you'll see it solidify. Labor Day sort of being the, the major date calendar point where people are going to be making the decisions whether or not it's a go or no no go. And we'll see the same front on, on legislative races as well. Interesting. Great uh, summary of all those uh, Council of State positions and, and also the uh, uh, all the races that will be on the ballot for state government next, next, uh, next November. Uh, we're going to take a break. We have one final segment with our guest, Brad Crone, who's the president of Campaign Connections, political strategist, and always gives us a great view on what's going to happen. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back with our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers, Brad Crone, the president of Campaign Connections, a frequent guest on our program through the years, is our guest. As we said, he is a former member of the staff of WPTF years ago. Uh, since that time, he's been involved uh, as a special assistant to uh, North Carolina Commissioner of Agriculture, Jim Graham, who was a very colorful figure, uh, uh, several other things. And, he, of course, he is now a, an advisor uh, and consultant to uh, political candidates. He is a registered uh, unaffiliate, but has uh, more ties to the Democratic Party. We always point that out so that you know exactly where he's coming from when he makes his comments. We spent the first segment talking about the presidential situation and all the various legal challenges to that and how this uh, whole uh, next seven, eight months up, uh, up and through the primary season is going to be so interesting to watch. So if you missed that segment, you may want to go back and listen to it. Uh, let's uh, turn right now to the final segment of the uh, General Assembly because we still don't have uh, all the uh, final outcome of the budget. As you said, there are some uh, very interesting races. Uh, most everybody sort of has assumed that Medicaid expansion is going to be approved, but it is tied to the approval of the budget. Um, and, uh, of course, there are a number of other uh, uh, issues that are involved right now that uh, could make that uh, wrapping up of the budget process very interesting. So give us some insight on how you think that's going to be settled. Well, the, the uh, conference committee has worked the last two weeks, uh, day in and day out, and then there have been C-suite meetings between the president pro tem and the Speaker of the House. And the, the you know, we had gray smoke this week signaling that there were agreements on the budget triggers for uh, revenue as well as tax percentage levels at the corporate uh, on the corporate stand front. Uh, so I think you're going to see movement this coming week in the legislature of getting the budget out. The political drama, Don, is going to be will the governor accept it because he feels that the legislature has not done enough for funding when it comes to public education and uh, increasing pay for our educators and classroom teachers. And uh, with that said, he is getting Medicaid expansion. So there's going to be some good and some bad in the budget uh, when it comes to the governor's decision of, you know, do I sign the bill, do I let it sit, or do I veto it? And there is some feedback coming that the super conservatives within the Republican House caucus are going to say that if the governor vetoes the budget, they may not vote to override the veto. So a lot of drama, a lot of hijinks. There'll be a lot of tension on Jones Street this week, uh, this coming week, as they get that hammered out and everybody will be holding their breath to see exactly what the governor does. And once you know, the legislature gets the budget drama over with. They may have uh, a little bit of break, uh, you know, around Labor Day, and then they'll be coming back to deal with redistricting both at the congressional level and at the legislative level. And all bets are off uh, during those weeks when they start working on the congressional district lines and on the legislative lines. The, the top mission will be to add some congressional seats and where that happens. Is it two seats? Is it three seats for the Republicans? We don't know. 
uh, Don Davis, Wiley Nickel, Jeff Jackson, all sitting on pins and needles because if there are targets, if if the congressional Democrats have targets, they would be the top three, I would say. There's been discussion that if Jeff Jackson's district is redrawn into a Republican district, then the question mark is what impact will that have on Dan Bishop? It's the balloon effect. If you tie the balloon at one end, you're going to have an effect somewhere else. So it will be intriguing to watch as the legislature goes through the business of uh, looking at congressional redistricting and adding. Right now, we have a 7-7 split. So I'm predicting that the at the end of the session, if they go into adjournment, probably October, then the Republicans will probably walk away with the congressional map that has nine seats in it, and the Democrats will end up with five seats. And on the legislative side, they really can't tinker very much with the district. Um, I mean, they've got supermajorities right now in both chambers, and it, I just don't see them being able to move the needle anymore where they can pick up any more seats. They may do some maneuvering in Wake County to try and, and strengthen the district, Aaron Perez district down in the southern part of the county. You may see some movement over in New Hanover in Wilmington to try and strengthen a house seat district up in the northern uh, northwestern part of New Hanover County. I don't see anywhere else there can be super changes in the lineup of uh, the maps that would favor the Republicans other than what they have right now. So I think the big question mark, Don, will be can the Democrats find enough districts? I know Anderson Clayton, the new chairwoman of the Democratic Party, is going around the state saying we'll have 170 candidates on the ballot for state House and state Senate. But the Democrats will be much smarter to say, I'm going to pick out 10 to 15 seats that I'm going to fight in. For example, up in Ahoskey in Hertford County, over in Nash County, uh, where and uh, making sure that they protect um, in Scotland County, Garland Pierce. Um, so th they have really got to figure out where are we going to fight and try and pick up seats that we lost? You know, they lost an African-American seat over in Granville County last election. So they've got to, to it, they would be smarter to pick out the 10 to 15 most competitive races that you can fight in and hopefully pick up a number of those seats that will turn over the supermajority status for the Republicans and at least make the Democrats relevant when it comes to legislative bargaining. Brad, you uh, have been around not quite as long as I have because I'm old as dirt, but uh, you're, 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 I'm getting close to it. you're getting there. Uh, did you ever think, say, 15 years ago, that we would be talking about the gaming legislation? And this is representative of how people's morals and issues uh, that relate to their lifestyle have changed. Here we're talking about having maybe four casinos and the gaming laws are changing radically. Did you ever think that we would see the time when North Carolina would have this kind of uh, involvement in that uh, in that arena? 
No, I really didn't. But I'll say this, it doesn't bother me either, uh, seeing the economic impact that it could have. I, I do think um, there was a period of time when I think the Cherokee could have negotiated uh, better so that they would not have faced the situation that they faced with the Catawba over in Charlotte and with the Lumbee in Robeson County. And there could have been you know, less ill feelings, hard feelings uh, between the only nationally recognized uh, tribe of Indians with the Eastern band of the Cherokee nation up uh, on the Kuala boundary in Jackson and Cherokee counties. Um, they did not want to negotiate with any other tribe to look at creating an imprint of gaming. So when the Commonwealth of Virginia allowed gaming in Chesapeake and in Portsmouth, and uh, there's a casino getting ready to open in Norfolk as well, and then, then in Danville, uh, North Carolina, I think the Republicans really opened their eyes saying, listen, we are missing an opportunity to create economic activity as well as a revenue generator. So I, I never thought that I would see it, but I understand it. And, uh, you know, if they open one in Rocky Mount, I look forward to riding down there and <laughs> playing some blackjack and uh, slot machines every now and then. I love going up to Cherokee, so um, I'm excited about having equal opportunity for the eastern part of the state. One interesting dynamic, Don, that's intriguing to me is Robbie Davis, the chairman of the Nash County Commission, is making noise that he doesn't necessarily support having uh, gaming in Nash County. So there may be a split between the mayor, Sandy Robertson, the mayor of Rocky Mount, and the chairman of the Nash County Commission. And the question there will be, you know, do they proceed with something in the city of Rocky Mount, or does the political fight mean that Roanoke Rapids gets to turn uh, the Randy Parton Theater into a casino operation that's already an entertainment district? And uh, does Roanoke Rapids benefit from the political divide that you're seeing between the Nash County chairman and the mayor of Rocky Mount? So that'll be intriguing. And the last thing on the gaming front is the video lottery terminals. You know, allowing uh, if you go into a, a local bar and you want to play $20 of video poker, you're going to be able to. And under the guidelines of the legislation, it's very similar. I, I worked a lot in Mississippi and, and Louisiana at the early part of 2000. And the, the video lottery terminal legislation is very similar to what you have in Louisiana. You have a mom and pop bar. They put in a, a video poker machine. It's connected to the main server of the, the state lottery. And every night at two o'clock in the morning, the state gets their money. So it's millions and millions of dollars going to the state on a daily basis. It's much more transparent. It's much more uh, open. The lottery can be in the business as well as uh, opportunity for Brahm and Pops to be in it as well. So that'll be an economic driver. And never, you know, we had that debate back in 2007 when Jim Black was speaker of the house and uh, the state decided to get rid of, get out of the video poker business and, you know, woof, a few years later, we're we're back in it. This time, the legislation's a whole lot stronger uh, as we move forward. So I think we're in 
we're in for an interesting, the rest of third quarter and fourth quarter. The campaigns will really start kicking off around Thanksgiving. You're going to see media broadcasting, television, radio ads at the top of the ticket at the presidential level. North Carolina may not be a high priority from a presidential standpoint, but the governor's race is going to be a multi-million dollar affair. And we really get to see from the candidates what their vision of North Carolina is and what will be the future of the Tar Heel State. You have left me with just enough time to thank you very much for your insight and input into uh, what's going to happen during the next uh, as you said, this next period of time up to Labor Day. A program has been produced by Jason Kong. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. It's carolinanewsmakers.com. We'll be back next week. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.